0: Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the
1: co-founders of Range Ventures,
0: an early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. For our very first episode, we are incredibly excited to share our conversation with Josh Scott. Josh has been a prominent part of Colorado Tech for years with roles at Home Advisor and Guild Education, and is probably best known as the co-founder of Craftsy, which had a successful sale to NBC in 2017. I've known Josh for years and have consistently found him to be one of the most thoughtful and reflective people around. I think you'll see why as you hear his insights around his biggest lesson. So, for those who don't know, Josh Scott is someone who's had incredible success here in the Denver tech community, at HomeAdvisor, to starting Craftsy with successful exit to NBC, Guild Education, and a whole host of, of other things. So, Josh, you've done so many many things here. I just love to hear some of the the highlights of your uh, your time in Denver tech.
2: It's been wonderful getting to be here, and I think that the biggest highlight for me by far is feeling like I get to play a small role in helping to build an incredible ecosystem here in addition to company building. I think it's one of the biggest things that I try to sell when I'm trying to sell sell Denver to folks moving from the coasts in particular is having lived for 10 years in San Francisco and always felt like I was the smallest of small fish in a big pond. And even the big fish have very little influence there on uh, city well-being and ecosystem building, obviously, I believe, to the negative in terms of the trajectory of, of San Francisco as of late. But here you can be a part of ecosystem building and community building in a really consequentially different way. And that's been a ton of fun for me and uh, hopefully beneficial for our broader ecosystem.
1: What are the sort of the, the two to three things, though, as you think about what's made the Bay Area super successful that you want to make sure to, to bring here and replicate here as we continue to build Denver?
2: Yep, important question. So one is structural. uh, And we were just talking about it before we got started to some degree. Educational infrastructure in the Bay Area has obviously been a core part of uh, what's made things so successful there, both because it provides the foundation to enable people to have the skills to go forward and, and build great stuff, but also because it's a magnet for incredible talent. And I think there's more that we can continue to do both at the K 12 level and beyond to build incredible education infrastructure. Uh, two, and probably even more importantly than that, is a cultural perspective on risk taking and tolerance for failure. And this is obvious and, and stuff that everybody talks about. So nothing new to add here other than the fact that uh, I have been pleased so far, despite our sort of early trajectory. As, a, as an ecosystem in our enthusiasm for embracing uh, going out and trying things and learning what you can learn and seeing what happens and uh, with some probability those things work out great and grow go on to become big successes uh, but with reasonable probability they become compost upon which other great things are built over time including your own skills and knowledge and capability and I think we should, uh, celebrate both of those equally, and I think that's a big part of what creates the environment for a high-quality ecosystem.
0: I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience as both, you know, an operator and a founder, and how you uh, have thought about those those two different uh, types of opportunities.
2: Yeah, I think about them in many ways very similarly. At the end of the day, I think of myself very much as somebody who loves to collaborate with people to build cool and interesting stuff. And whether that comes uh, from an idea that I came up with or came up with uh, along with a few colleagues, or it comes from something that somebody else sparked and I happen to uh, jump on board and get to be part of the journey. Both of those things are are equally appealing to me and provide the same kind of opportunities and great ways to collaborate with fantastic people to build interesting stuff. And so, Josh, what are you focused on these days? These days, I'm doing a balance of things. Um, First of all, I'm spending as much time as I can just enjoying family and reconnecting with folks that I haven't spent as much time with as I've been company building over the last uh, handful of years. Uh, And we'll talk more about that as this conversation goes on, I'm sure. Uh, But also uh, trying to be helpful to as many local early stage companies as I possibly can in whatever way that might be. Uh, And sometimes that takes the form of just having conversations from time to time and sharing some of the bumps and bruises that I have uh, accumulated over time in a way that uh, maybe helps people avoid the same uh, corners that I've run into. And other times it involves uh, me making investment of some kind. And in particular, I've been investing recently out of a, a new vehicle I just created that we're calling Sodality. Uh, where what we're looking to do is support entrepreneurs who are looking to build companies for whom uh venture traditional venture capital is not the right funding vehicle for them, or they're not sure that it is at the stage that they're at and they want to uh, play out the string a little bit longer in building what they're building to try to figure out whether it makes sense for them to raise uh traditional venture capital or to uh, build it in a more, bootstrapped or out of customer generated revenue or dollars way.
0: Josh, really interesting that you're focused on that given, um, you know, your history working at venture-backed companies and particularly your own company, Craftsy, that you guys raised, I, I think, around $100 million. Is that, is that right? What's taken your you from that to focus more of your time and, and mental energy on, on a more bootstrapped or optionality approach? Great question. So, yes,
2: first of all, I am... Uh, the last person in the world who would be a hater of any kind on venture capital. So I have greatly enjoyed working for venture-backed companies. I think uh, venture has a really critical role in our ecosystem. The real answer to that question uh, comes down to, quite frankly, your presence in the market. I think we have gone in the last 10 years, since I first arrived here, from a world where there was very little early-stage capital, available to entrepreneurs in the Colorado ecosystem uh, to a world where now there are uh, great investors uh, putting dollars to work to really help early stage entrepreneurs uh, in a traditional venture capital way, which I think is critical, the ecosystem building and fantastic. And so what I'm trying to do is fill in a gap that I now see, uh, given the presence of range and others, uh, that there's an opportunity to support entrepreneurs who aren't quite ready for that, or don't know whether that's the right path for what they're building, and so that's what's uh, what's prompted that to to come up on my radar. We
0: we love that. I mean, I, I think Josh, we meet companies all the time that venture capital is probably not the right the the right uh, solution for them, but because they just don't know any different, or are pushed that way by you know certain accelerators or, or media personalities that think that's the the only answer for their business. So really excited that that you're in the market providing another option.
2: Thank you. Greatly appreciate it. It'll be fun to see how it goes. It's an early experiment, uh, like all things that at an early stage, and we may learn a lot of stuff that's useful and we may discover that it makes no sense to do what we're doing presently, but it's fun to try and we'll see what, what happens as we play out the string here a little bit.
1: Great. Well, Josh, uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, you know Why we're here is to learn about your biggest lesson. So if you could share that with us.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, it's very intimidating to come up with a biggest lesson. Uh, I've learned so many lessons over time. But the one that most clearly stands out for me is I think about things as much as possible in terms of play your own game. So I think we all have a tendency, myself, at the forefront of that list to get caught up in Playing the game or the rules by the rules that others have set for us or trying to emulate uh, too closely what others have done uh, who have their own paths that they're charting through life. And rather than that, I think it's incredibly important has been valuable to me when I've had the good self-discipline to be able to do this, to step back and say to myself, what do I want? What's the critical path to being able to get there? And then perhaps in some regard, most importantly, what are my own quirks, personality characteristics, flaws, et cetera, that will cause obstacles for me as I try to navigate that critical path to what I want. And each one of those things become things that are easy for me to skip over and instead focus on what does like quote unquote society seem to want and what does society value And it's easy to replace my own value system accidentally with that of what I perceive to be society's value system. The unfortunate result in doing that, as I have discovered time and again by pounding my head against that wall, is that you prove out to not be super happy even when you're successful in playing the game that isn't your game. And so that's why I so encourage myself when I can and others when possible uh, to step back and think about what the game is that you want to play, because your ability to truly feel like you've won, I think is highly dependent upon playing a game that winning is valuable to you.
1: Yeah. So, Josh, before we, we get into learning about you know what specifically the game is that you've defined and learned for yourself that you want to play, um, I find that as people are in their biggest lesson, there's sort of always a pivotal moment, right, where you actually have that first epiphany that ah this is really important to me. Was there a specific thing that happened at work or some other endeavor where you actually realized the importance of playing your own game versus playing everyone else's game? And what specifically was that?
2: Yeah, for me, a huge part of it was as we were building Craftsy, I was, uh, like I think many of us, spending all my waking time plus plus uh, fully immersed in. Thinking about everything craftsy all the time and how we could crack the uh, long term problems and the short term problems that were coming up every day in the business. And at some point along the journey, my family had to sit down with me, my wife and daughter, and help me think about the fact that the things that I would tell you are my values were not things that I was reflecting in my actions. Uh, Most tangibly, if you had asked me at the time, what are the most important things in the world to me? I obviously would have certainly, like all of us, reflexively said my wife and daughter and the the family that, that I have uh, and I'm lucky to have. But the way I was investing my time certainly was not consistent with that. And uh, I really am appreciative of the fact that they had patience with me and empathy for the fact that I wanted to do both of these things, but also had the courage to be able to say to me, you know what, I'm going to call you out in the fact that what you're saying is true is not reflected in your actions. And you should think about that.
0: Is there anything, Josh, that from that specific uh, lesson, you, know, you give guidance to entrepreneurs now of how to strike that right balance of still succeeding professionally and balancing the personal things they care about?
2: Yeah, so a couple of things on that. So one, I'll answer specifically that trade-off and I think there's some elements, as you said, that are universal for many people on that trade off particularly. But I'll also say that I try to abstract back as much as possible with folks and say that uh, for me, that was a lot of what I was confronting uh, because of the things that are important to me and the things that I was doing that are divergent from the things that were important to me. And yours may be very different than that. So I, I would encourage folks, consistent again with my play your own game thesis here, don't take my game and apply it to your life unless it happens to directly apply. Uh, but very specifically, I'd say one of the things that I say a lot to folks and really deeply believe is, especially if you are a early stage leader or a founder, one of the like real unique assets you have that I don't think many of us make the most of is you get to make the rules of the thing that you're building. It's your playground. So uh, uh, arrange like toys on the playground in the way that you want them. Create the culture in a way that reflects your value system and the company you want to be a part of. I always think often about the, I think now pretty famous story of uh, Tony Shea's first company, uh, Link Exchange, which at least as they tell the story, They sold uh, pretty early, still an attractive outcome for them, but they sold pretty early to Microsoft because they didn't want to go to work there anymore. And I think a big part of at least what I had heard in some of uh, his telling before he unfortunately passed was that part of what inspired as they started to lead Zappos, uh, the culture building that happened at Zappos was a reflection on the fact that they had totally messed it up the first time around. And ended up finding themselves working in a company that they started, they ran, but they didn't want to work for anymore. That's just, I I can relate to that deeply. And gosh, how unfortunate is that? Uh, you, You have all of the span of control that you could want to create the thing that you want to create, make the most of that opportunity and create the environment you're thrilled to be working
1: in. And Josh, as you talk about defining your own rules and, and the ability to do that, you know, with the rules that you defined for your game, was it sort of a slow evolution over time? Or at a certain point, did you sort of reflect back and actually sort of take the time to codify what your values and what your rules were and actually write them down to hold yourself accountable and true to them?
2: Both are true. Uh, so on the first part, uh, not only is it a long game, In general, it is a long game that I still am playing like every day in my life. And if interesting, we can spend more time talking about the uh, the fact that I still even though I know this to be a thing, I will go back and I'll listen to this podcast. And I'll be "Hey, You should listen to that Josh person. He's got some things that I should I should pay attention to and try to do because I am highly imperfect at this uh, even today. Uh, That said, I have been increasingly intentional about uh, thinking about what I want, thinking about the path to get there, thinking about the things that impede me on that path, writing that stuff down, checking myself on it, and creating some checks in my own process that help provide some of that discipline specifically where my uh, natural habits may take me astray.
0: Josh, I want to go back to something you said that I just find find fascinating, which is this contrast that we often face between what we want and what society says we should want, right? And society does a does a great job, particularly in the tech world, of telling people what we should want, right? We should want to have an IPO, we should want to be on the cover of magazines, we should want to raise as much venture capital dollars as, as, as possible, etc. I, I think it's interesting. I actually heard a, a quote recently from John Steinbeck and I'm going to butcher, but something along the lines of this is what we value in society: we value humility, we value generosity. But who do we celebrate? We celebrate greed and bombast and 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 hype and that sort of thing. How do you think about that? You know, th- those type of trade offs in the tech industry and at early stage specifically, given you spend have spent a lot of time here.
2: I think the quote is apropos. I, I think that uh, we all are uh, very susceptible whether it's for sake of wanting the feeling of belonging or community or the like, to getting caught up in the things that others have held up as important. And when I say others have held up as important, I'm not even sure that if you went to each of the individual folks that any of them would individually say that any of those things are important. We just create this uh, collective cycle of confusion, I think, unfortunately, as a result of that. And the only thing from my perspective that can break that cycle is any one of us, for our own well-being, stepping back and saying, okay, let me take a moment to truly pause and reflect as I encounter this specific situation and say, what do I want out of this? And then start to make your decisions after you've taken the moment to pause and think about that.
0: I think the challenge is that that can be a deceptively hard question to answer, right? Is, is what do I oh, want? Yeah. It's something that I think I I can speak, Chris, I don't know your, your, your experience, but it's something that I certainly never spent enough time thinking about um, at times during my own career, um, as you were really just focused on achieving and solving problems.
1: Yeah, at least for me, it didn't come out of me being smart enough to be proactive about thinking of it. It came out of um, a bunch of things that I realized I didn't want creeping into my life and then having to look at those and be like, huh. Those are things I don't want, right? But I need to actually fill in the other side of the equation is like, if I don't like those things, what are the things I really want, right? And then I think to, you know, the, the quote and the point Josh just made is a handful of those things were sort of at odds with being a, a tech founder, right? And from the previous background I have, you know, from working at BCG and everyone being type A and being 100% go all the time. And I think when you come to, define a set of values or things you want that don't align with what you've historically done. It's tough to make that transition, right. And, and start living those new things. Um, And I at least found the struggle in doing that for a while uh, before I realized the more of those I did, the happier I became. Right. And I think you got to get in that cycle and realize it.
2: I, I think that's exactly right. And I think like many things in life and particularly many things in company building too, for what it's worth, The right first answer to that question is to recognize that the answer is, I don't know. And rather than reflexively say, when asked, what do you want? Oh, here's the first thing that comes to mind for me. Maybe it's more helpful, again, much like we've learned through uh, experience in company building, is to say, well, let me think about how I can do some experiments to figure out the answer to that. And structure it from an experimental perspective uh, with the humility that comes with that, rather than saying, "Here's my immediate gut feel as to what the answer is to that question,"
0: it's something we actually ask Josh when we meet with different uh, founders of of, of prospective startups. Uh, we ask them, "What what do they want for their company?" At least, I mean, I think it's you know incumbent on all of us to also be asking, "What do we want personally?" as part of that. But it's something we ask. And sometimes founders, I find, have the answer nailed. But I think a majority of them, actually, it's a, it's a little... Can catch them off guard, right? I don't think they're used totally. to having investors ask them that that question. It's just assume that, well, IPO and you know, big as possible, right? <laughs> That's the only answer yep. you should have. Um, but we, we love when, when folks have been a little bit more thoughtful about that. Totally agree. And, and it's interesting. I mean, how do you think about this? It seems natural how this segues into what you're doing now on the investment side i mean is this a big this lesson i guess is a a big uh connection to the investment thesis you have around folks that you know maybe want something a little bit different than conventional venture capital
2: i think that's right and i think even more than that it's connected to optionality back to the experiment uh experimental point that we were just talking about a second ago i think that many of us when we're starting companies naturally don't know what kind of company we're building yet at time zero it's going to take a little bit of us uh with that problem in mind that prompted us to start the company uh, beginning to confront the world of solution space to try to figure out is that problem real what kind of solutions might be interesting to go address that problem How does my company need to evolve to deliver those solutions? And much like we've taken this experimental approach to product design as uh, sort of summarized in the minimum viable product notion, uh, my assertion would be that we should probably take a similar approach to company building in most other important aspects of the company and recognize with humility that not only... Do you not know exactly what the product is going to be that's going to be the right solution to the problem that you're working to solve? But you don't know what the right team is to go work on that problem. You don't know what the right way is to finance what you're doing to work on that problem. And let's take as much opportunity as we can early to be open-minded and humble about that and figure it out as we build
1: Josh, really appreciated learning about your, your biggest lesson. If you could you know, give a super concrete summary of, you know, here's the lesson. And if this resonates really strongly with one of our, our listeners, uh, would love to hear also how they could quickly try and implement it as well in their life.
2: Yep, yeah, absolutely. So I think that anytime you are confronting a consequential decision, take a moment to pause for yourself and think, what do I want out of this decision? And as you think about what you want, uh, what's the critical path to get there? What are you going to have to navigate to be able to make that possible? And then what do you know about yourself to recognize the things that are likely to come up to impede your ability to achieve what you want in that regard? And how can you shock absorber against those or navigate around those things that are inevitable impediments that are going to come up, that are part of the quirks of all of us as humans.
0: Josh, awesome. Thank you very much. How can folks in the community get in touch with you?
2: My pleasure. And feel free to reach out to me via email anytime. uh, Josh at joshscott.me, J-O-S-H at J-O-S-H-S-C-O-T-T dot me. Please do. Seriously, don't hold back. Email me anytime. Look forward to chatting with you.
0: Great. Thanks, Josh. Look forward to seeing what you do uh, with, with the new entity and super lucky in Denver to have you as a part of the tech community, helping everybody out.